there this is bhavna and you are listening to the genetic code by isaac asimov let's start with the chapter 2 of the book titled of first importance the substance of the chromosome the chemical makeup of living tissue has been a problem that has concerned chemists for a century and a half although the broad outline was laid down by the middle of the 19th century the major component of all living tissue is of course water the same water that exists everywhere in the world around us the remaining material however consists in the main of compounds that are distinctly unlike the substances so common in the inanimate world the substances of soil sea and air are stable resistant to heat and for the most part not flammable the substances isolated from living tissue however are easily destroyed by heating all are more or less flammable and even if heated in the absence of air so that they cannot burn are nevertheless decomposed they then give off vapors and change permanently in one way or another as a result the substances isolated from living tissue were as long ago as 1807 given a classification of their own they were organic substances because they were isolated from organisms material obtained from the inanimate world was naturally classified as inorganic substances by 1820 it had become customary to think of the organic substances as falling into one or another of three broad groups the carbohydrates the lipids and the proteins in terms of substances most familiar to us sugar and starch are carbohydrates olive oil and butter are lipids while gelatin and dried egg white are proteins by the mid 19th century it seemed quite clear that of these three proteins were the most complicated in structure and the most important in function in fact the very name protein is derived from the greek word meaning of first importance the complexity of protein structure is reflected in the fragility of the substance it doesn't always follow but one would expect a tall complicated house of cards to be easier to upset than a very small one carbohydrates and lipids can withstand treatment that proteins cannot at least not without losing their ability to function as proteins most proteins in solution for instance when exposed to gentle heat change permanently the protein becomes insoluble and can no longer perform whatever natural function is ordinarily its own it is denatured a touch of acid can denature a protein a touch of alkaline solution can do so so can strong salt solutions and radiation in the absence of all these factors even shaking a protein solution into a froth will often suffice to denature it in fact proteins seem the very stuff of life as fragile and tender as a living thing itself all the environmental changes that ruin the function of protein can harm an organism or even snuff it its life 
the delicacy of an organism as compared with a stone for instance would seem but a reflection of the delicacy of the protein that make up makes up the organism it was no surprise to biochemists then to find that chromosomes are largely protein in nature they would have to be it seemed what else but the compound that was of first importance could possibly make up the chromosomes that determine the inherited characteristics of the organism but the chromosomes were not merely protein after all for it turns out that not all protein is merely protein some proteins are indeed all protein in the sense that no portion of their substance differs markedly in characteristics from any other portion the protein in egg white is an example of this it is a simple protein on the other hand hemoglobin the blood protein that carries oxygen from the lungs to the body generally is not a simple protein it can be split into two substances heme and globin while the latter is a simple protein the former is not protein at all but an iron containing substance with none of the properties ordinarily associated with protein in hemoglobin this non protein portion is tightly joined to the protein hemoglobin is therefore a conjugated protein the word conjugated originated from latin words meaning joined with other conjugated proteins have joined to the simple protein portion of the substance various types of carbohydrates lipids pigments metals other than iron and so on the particular protein of chromosomes is a conjugated protein but the non protein portion is none of the substances that i have mentioned it is instead a rather curious substance first discovered a century ago in 1869 a young german chemist named frederick maischer isolated a substance from tissue that turned out to be neither carbohydrate lipid nor protein since he had obtained it from cell nuclei maischer named it nuclein in time the substance turned out to have acid properties so that it was renamed nucleic acid it was this substance that was eventually found to be joined to the protein of chromosomes as a result the substance of chromosomes has been given the name nucleoprotein time passed and during the first third of the 20th century biochemists were busily engaged in studying viruses entities that caused diseases but were so small that they could not be seen under the microscope in 1935 the american biochemist wendel m stanley isolated the tobacco mosaic virus which caused disease of the tobacco leaf in the form of crystals these crystals proved to be protein in nature the virus was not composed of cells but was rather a fragment no larger at most than a chromosome like a chromosome the virus had the faculty of replicating itself once it got within the cell and if there was this functional resemblance another a chemical resemblance was soon to be discovered it turned out that the tobacco mosaic virus was more than protein only it contained nucleic acid as well and was therefore a nucleoprotein since then many other viruses have been isolated and analyzed 
and all without exception have been proved to be nuclear proteins this presented biochemists by 1940 with a clear picture two types of entities were known to replicate themselves these were the chromosomes within the cell and the invading viruses from outside the cell and both were nuclear protein in nature reduced to chemical terms then the answer to the problem of genetics lay in the nature and structure of nuclear protein variety to the chemists of 1940 and before however the problem of nuclear protein was first and foremost the problem of protein the structure of the non protein portions of the substance was in their experience comparatively simple it was the protein portion that counted the proteins were not merely complex and delicate they existed in a tremendous variety of forms that in itself made the subject of protein structure at once fascinating and formidable to show you what i mean let me try to give you some of the idea of this variety within the body there are thousands of chemical reactions proceeding constantly as yet the total number cannot be as estimated nevertheless consider the fact that all the complex substances in food must first be broken down into smaller fragments and then the smaller fragments must be absorbed and put together into a new complex substance suitable to the eater some of the food stuffs absorbed must be broken down to produce energy and the wastes left behind must be eliminated special substances needed by the body must be produced out of other substances in the food stuffs and every change seems to take place by dozens of interrelated steps almost none of the individual chemical reactions that proceed so easily and smoothly in the body will proceed in a test tube if the reacting materials are isolated and kept at body temperature to produce these reactions one must add something that is extracted from living tissue that something is an enzyme an enzyme is a catalyst that is it is a substance which in small quantity will make a chemical reaction proceed much more quickly than it would otherwise yet without the catalyst itself being permanently altered in the process the enzyme does this by supplying a surface on which the substances can react with a smaller input of energy and therefore with much greater rapidity the subject is a complex one but i will give you a simple analogy to show what i mean a brick resting on an inclined plank will not slide down the plank despite the pull of gravity because friction will hold it in place in order to get it moving it has to be shoved that is there must be an input of energy once it starts moving it may continue sliding to the bottom or it may grind to a halt however suppose both the surface of the plank and the bottom surface of the brick are covered with a thin hard layer of smooth wax now the brick will slide down under the pull of gravity without any push at all and it will slide down more quickly the enzyme acts so to speak like those layers of wax now almost each of all the thousand of reactions in the body is catalyzed by a specific enzyme not the same enzyme mind you but a different one in each case 
Each reaction has its own enzyme and every enzyme is a protein, a different protein. The human body is not alone in having thousands of different enzymes. So does every other species of creature. Many of the reactions that take place in human cells also happen in the cells of other creatures. Some of the re reactions indeed are universal in that they take place in all cells of every type. This means that an enzyme capable of catalyzing a particular reaction may be present in the cells of wolves, octopi, moss and bacteria as well as in our own cells. And yet each of these enzymes capable though it is of catalyzing one particular reaction is characteristic of its own species. They may all be distinguished from one another. It follows that every species of creature has thousands of enzymes and that all those enzymes may be different. Since there are over a million different species on earth, it may be possible judging from the enzymes alone that different proteins exist by the billions. More variety. The potentialities of variation in proteins can be shown in another way too. The human body can form antibodies. These are substances which react with invading microorganisms or with the poisonous substances that they produce to counter the effect of the microorganism or of its poison and thus make us immune to their action. It is in this way that the body fights a disease such as measles. The antibodies formed against the measles virus then persist in our body or else future contact with the virus stimulates their rapid production. The body having learned the recipe so to speak and we remain immune to measles forever after. Again, all of us who live in cities are constantly exposed to poliomyelitis and other serious diseases. Most of us build up antibodies against them and thus possess sufficient resistance to remain unaffected. A few unfortunates however succumb. Antibodies are also built up on occasion against essentially harmless substances that may be present in pollen, in food or in other parts of the environment. When we are exposed to those substances, there is a reaction between them and the antibody and this somehow produces a number of uncomfortable symptoms such as sneezing, swelling of the linings of the nose and throat, reddening of the eyes, blotching of the skin, asthma. We then say that we are allergic to this or to that. Such sensitivities to specific substances can be built up deliberately. A rabbit can be injected with a particular substance. It will then build up an antibody against it. Blood serum taken from the rabbit will be found to contain the antibody which will react with the substance to which the rabbit was made sensitive and to no other. There seems scarcely any limit to the number of different antibodies that can be produced. Each bacterium, each bacterial toxin, each strain of virus, each protein and some non-protein component of food or of anything else will bring about the production of a particular antibody that reacts with it and with nothing else. An antibody that works against one strain of a particular virus will not work against an even slightly different strain of the same virus. That is why we don't work up any decent immunities against such diseases as the common cold and influenza.
we produce antibodies to be sure but the next time we are exposed it is almost invariably to a different strain and our antibody is useless it turns out that every antibody is a protein and every different antibody is a different protein the versatility and variety of antibodies are therefore further evidence of the versatility and variety of protein there are in organisms proteins that are neither enzymes nor antibodies however and you might think that there at least a standard material might exist for instance certain proteins form important structural components of connective tissue or of muscle the former is collagen the latter actomyosin there is also hemoglobin a protein already mentioned even these however differ from from species to another it is possible to produce antibodies to components of human blood for instance which will react only with human blood that is how old dried blood can be identified as human blood and not chicken blood when murder trials demand such distinctions sometimes an antibody for chicken blood will react faintly with duck blood or an antibody for dog blood will react faintly with wolf blood such faint cross reactions are evidence of the closeness of two species in their evolutionary development we can summarize it all by saying that each species has its characteristic proteins and enzymes that each individual has them that each cell has them the key word is enzymes for each organism builds its proteins through a long series of reactions that are catalyzed by enzymes if organisms differ in substances other than protein we may be sure that those substances too were built up through the catalytic activity of particular enzymes enzymes in disorder a variation in quantity of a single enzyme out of many can produce startling changes not only in the cells making particular use of that enzyme but in the entire organism thus there is a brown black pigment formed by cells of the skin in a series of reactions each controlled by a particular enzyme if those enzymes are all present in quantity the pigment is formed in considerable amounts and the skin is swarthy the hair black the eyes brown if one of those enzymes is formed in rather small quantities the production of the pigment is held down the skin is fair the hair is blond eyes blue occasionally it may happen that an individual is born with an incapacity to form one of the enzymes in that case no pigment is formed skin and hair are white and the eyes are pink because the blood vessels become visible in the absence of pigment such people are albinos in other words what we consider an inherited characteristic the color of one's hair or eyes or one of the more startling mutations the appearance of albinism may be brought about not merely through the activity of cells but through the variation in quantity of but a single enzyme within those cells sometimes we cannot trace the path from enzyme to final effect quite so easily the absence of an enzyme or the imbalance of several may prevent a normal reaction from taking place or perhaps will bring about a reaction that ordinarily does not take place some substance will not be formed that should be formed 
or it will be formed in excessive amounts. In either case, this will in turn affect the workings of other enzymes, which will upset the workings of still others and so on. Any interference with enzyme action at almost any point will set off a chain reaction that can end almost anywhere. There is an enzyme called phenylalaninase, which on rare occasions may be absent in a human being. The reaction catalyzed by the enzyme is among those producing one of the raw materials out of which the brown-black pigment, which I mentioned before, is formed. In the absence of this enzyme, it is difficult to form the pigment and the individual is blonde. But in addition, for reasons we don't yet know, that same individual without the enzyme will be found to suffer from a condition called phenylpyruvic oligophrenia which involves serious mental retardation. There are many cases in which the characteristics of an organism can be traced back to the enzyme balance within the cell. From all that biochemists have been able to learn, it seems reasonable to suppose that all the characteristics of an organism are but the visible expressions of the enzyme balance. If we are to engage ourselves in working out the puzzle of inheritance, then we come down to two questions. First, what is there about protein that enables it to form so many different enzymes? And second, what is there about chromosomes that enables them to bring about the formation of certain particular enzymes and no others? To answer these questions, we must plunge into a sea of chemical language, of symbols and formulae, to try to follow the fine details of genetics without doing so would be like watching a television drama without the audio portion. You would get a general idea of the action but you would never really learn what's going on. Here comes an end to the second chapter of First Importance which was mostly about proteins. Stay tuned to further decipher the genetic code by Isaac Asimov. Thanks for listening.